You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Last night there was a, a big boxing match in the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. 60,000 people gathered into the stadium and it came to the show fight of the night. Lights off. Tension building in the stadium. AJ, Anthony Joshua comes out. You know, shaking side to side. The music starts. The lights light up. And the crowd erupt as AJ walks to the ring. All eyes on him. The spotlight on him. And he gets to the ring. And there's his name up in lights. Went up in lights at the end of the fight anyway. He, he got well beaten. And in Isaiah chapter 2, is this idea of the proud people who love their name up in the lights being humbled. People who love their name in the lights are going to be humbled, is what Isaiah is setting out for us. And as believers, this is what Isaiah wants us to know, that the humble, us, walk in God's light. Why do we walk in God's light? Because we know that He will be exalted. I can assure you that many people would have walked behind AJ happily because they knew he was going to win. But they might have switched sides if he, they knew he was going to get beaten. And here we know that God will be exalted and we must walk in his light, not our own. It's God's name that is going to be lit up with lights in the last days, as it were. And in Isaiah 2, it begins with hope and then quickly turns to judgment. And these last days that Isaiah is talking about, we know from the, the, the New Testament, the Old together, that it's the day between Christ uh, ascending to heaven and Christ returning again. And these are the last days. This is, these are the final stages of God's redeeming plan for the world. And we come to Jesus and we humbly walk in his ways because we know that Christ will be exalted that means the things of today are put in eternal perspective, that we are simply just a little dot in history, not really worth very much, yet Christ thinks we're worth a whole lot. We follow Jesus because one day all will see him high and lifted up. Everything else in life is of false hope. The world uses self-advancement as a way of lifting ourselves up high and look how great we are, look how much we have done in the last year or two years or 10 or 20 or 30 whether that be technology, science, or political. But for us to say, for us we say, no, look at how great and how holy our God is. And this is where Isaiah begins his chapter. He begins by saying that God's kingdom will be exalted in verses 1 through to, through to 5 and then throughout as well. There is a day that will come that is written down in history that the Lord will be high and lifted up, that his kingdom will be exalted and here for, for Jerusalem, they will be humbled. And on their return, others, whenever they return from exiles, the other nations will say, wow, their God is really something. But of course, Isaiah's not just thinking about exile. He's thinking about the end days. And we hear, see here that the Lord will be lifted up onto the highest mountaintop and nations will flow. Nations will stream into the Lord's temple. And we see, where do we see that in verse Verse 2 that all the nations are, are going to be gathered and streamed to it. Niagara Falls, another big waterfall in Canada, America. Which way does the water flow? 
down. It's always down. The gravity brings the, the water down. But here, where, how's the people streaming up to the mountaintop? Well, they can only go up one way. It's up. It's anti-gravity. People are, are traveling, streaming up. It's impossible. It's a miracle. It's only of God. Only God can bring people up, up river, up flow. And through God working in people's hearts by His Spirit, that they come flowing in, that these nations, not just the Jews, but nations come to know the Lord Jesus. In the Old Testament, it's a really small number, but now nation upon nation upon nation is in this river flow up to this mountaintop. It's only been partly fulfilled, hasn't it? Because we know nations, not all nations have come to know the Lord, but we're getting there. And eventually, this is something the church can hold on to and build and take hope in, that the nations will flow and flow and flow. And whenever Isaiah sees this picture, it's what he saw. He sees us as part of those nations going up into, into God's kingdom. And at God's kingdom, there's going to be a period of peace. Whenever God's kingdom is exalted, there's going to be peace. Verse 4, swords and the, and the plows, spears and the hooks. What was once used to kill people is going to be used to sustain, uh, 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 to sustain life. So whenever the United Nations were, were, were set up and place built headquarters in New York, there, at the back there's an Isaiah wall with verse 4 plastered on it. This is a statue in New York gifted to the UN by the Soviets in 59, a couple of years before the Cuban Missile Crisis. This verse, that there's going to be no more war. Some irony there, isn't there? Using the Bible and then talking about having no war. And it's taken out of context so many times, but here God is saying, it's not the nations that are going to bring peace. It's not the UN, it's not the EU, it's not presidents and prime ministers. It's me. Only I will bring peace in all of its fullness. And that is when Jesus comes back to reign, where there's going to be no more temptation of war. Only when Jesus, whenever God's kingdom is exalted, there's going to be no more training for war. No more broken families with husbands and fathers not coming back from it. It is God who's the bringer of peace. It is God who restores sinners through his son, Jesus. It's a, a new relationship, isn't it? Because nation upon nation upon nation is in God's exalted kingdom. And where in the past, nation and nation did not get along. Here in this exalted kingdom, nations will get along. There's restored relationship between ourselves and each other and God. And there will be peace simply because the Lord is exalted in verses 11 and 17, if you look at it. In verse 11, a the, the, I, the Lord alone will be exalted in that day, in verse 17, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And in this culture where gods, gods were replaced on the, the heights of mountains, that's where people went to worship. And it's almost as though the people are battling to get their God to the highest point. Because the, the higher your God is, in a sense, the closer they are to heaven and the more powerful that they are. So Zion is just a little mount there are other mountains taller. In the ancient world, mountain is where gods lived, is where Zeus, Zeus lived in Mount Olympus. And just in the north of Israel, there's the, the, the great big mount, mount where Baal lived, apparently. And even as Isaiah is writing this, what the people believed, all these hills around them, they had all their little false gold, gods set up. And of course, none of these gods are true. None of these gods actually lived 
on these mountains. But here we're told that God is going to exalt himself, that God is going to, in verse 2, establish as chief among the mountains that there is a time coming where everyone will know and see that Zion is high and lifted up, where there's going to be a real God on a real mountain living with his people. A God that's not just for little Israel, but for every nation. That's what Isaiah sees in verse 2 here. In these last days. And as Isaiah speaks into Judah and Jerusalem, as people do have all their little gods that they worship, uh, and back in chapter 1 we're told that they, they were worshipping and they're worshipping their own gods, but they weren't doing it with their proper hearts, and God didn't really want their worship, we're told. It was rotten. And here, as they live life, they have all these different gods on different hilltops. And they're just going from one hill to the next hill to another hill. And they're worshipping their own little gods. And isn't that true of Jerusalem and, and today? Yeah, we don't have little, little hills knocking about, but in a sense we do in our own hearts, don't we? We have the mountaintops of sex, of money, of people craving and wanting power, of material things, of promotion, promotion and advancement, whatever way that looks like. We have all these little hills dotted around our culture, and people are traveling up them. They want to get the advancement. They want to get the money. They want to get their identity and be true to themselves. As is the moment where people are flowing to, because says, no, one day I will be high and lifted up. Those little mounds, those little hills, they'll be flattened. See, God is this only way of life. We see that in John 3, the verses we started with. But here in verse 3, it says that it's out of Zion, isn't it? It teaches us ways. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. It's God's word that goes out. It's God's word that is life. And it is God's word that goes out to bring people in. God's kingdom is exalted. Our words are hope for us. Because there's this encouragement in chapter 1 of a, of a remnant of people, a small number of faithful believers in Israel. But here, Isaiah's just blowing our mind, isn't he? He's saying every nation will gather together. And how is that for encouragement for us to keep going? That every nation will be gathered together to keep going, keep praying, keep walking with the Lord. It's exalting this mountain. God is saying, everyone will see. All the other little things that you chase after, they are nothing. God's kingdom will be exalted, a kingdom full of all nations and full of peace. But that's in the future, and we can long and look forward to that day, and we're in the in-between. But what about what's happening on the ground as it were in Jerusalem? Well, as Isaiah sees it and God sees it, the people are full of phony. They're full of phony. So we've been describing the final Zion where all people will be filled with God's Spirit. And, but now here we see that the people are full of phony. Their minds are so full of stuff that's less important, uh, things that don't matter. You know, some of our younger people here today, or teens, I would say, encounter, just imagine you knew as much about your music or sport uh, as you did about your schoolwork. How, much, how good you would do in school compared to all the other stuff and useless information that we have in here. Well, it's the, it's the same. We are filling our minds with a pile of stuff. 
But how much better would it be if we didn't fill it with a pile of phony, but a pile of God's words? Remembering, we can remember and explain intricate details of, of TV shows we watch or books that we read, yet we don't fill ourselves with God's words. In the previous chapter, chapter 1, verse 21, this is how Jerusalem used to be like. The, Jerusalem used to be like a faithful city. It was once full of justice, but it's not that anymore. It's full of phony. They are trusting all the wrong things. And in fact, Isaiah says that you've actually abandoned all the people in verse 6. God's people have been abandoned. They've forgotten about themselves. They've forgotten about God, and God's going to purge them. There's no heart in their religion. Because as the people are full of phony, they're full of false religion, aren't they? In verses 6, they're full of superstitions. This repeated full throughout. They're full of superstitions like from the Philistines and the Philistines. Verse 8, their land is full of idols. No, this is not just a little dabble here and there. We read throughout Chronicles that this is a proper problem. Constantly for God's people, they're full of idol worship full of false religion, full of phony. And the word used for idol here is just worthless. You're full of worthless. It's hopeless. This is a spiritual blindness of the nation. They do not see the folly of worshiping stuff that they've made up. They are full of what is not of God. As you remember, as maybe it was a couple of weeks ago, Isaiah 1, he said this was God's word to God's people. And that was for Israel, but it's now for us. We need to make sure that we're not full of false religion. Because it's so easy for it to be fully integrated into life, uh, society life. It's infiltrated over time, gradually, gradually, gradually. Like the, the grass on the side of the road, just coming in a little bit and a little bit in the roads. Gradually encroaching. What initially seems harmless. What seemed normal for a few it's now for everyone. And that's what happened with them and their religion. A few dabbled and then just spread like wildfire. They've allowed the world to mold them like clay. They've allowed the world to impress upon themselves other religions. And we are in danger of that too. Also told that they are full of money. Okay, that might seem quite strange as they're about to be attacked and there's the, the widow and the orphan and they're being really neglected. It's the case of the, the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer here. They're not looking out for one another. So in verse 7, we're told that they're full, full of silver and gold. There's no end. They seem to have an endless treasures on earth. It seems like their money would never run out. The times were so, so, so good. But it's all about to come crashing down. The people had accrued uh, such a significant amount of, of wealth and material wealth. They were constantly pursuing for more and more and more of it, and they were filling their hearts with the stuff. Filling it. And left no room for God. Full of phony. They were also filling themselves with, with power. Full of, um, verse uh, 7, their land is full of horses. It's full of this military might. In verse 15, there's this idea of there's a tower and a fortified wall. The idea of they're building security for themselves constantly, relying on human defenses. The exile is coming. Nations will, will come and attack Jerusalem. And they trust in themselves constantly rather than trusting the Lord. 
they have a phony power. They have a phony money. It's like monopoly money to God compared to the riches in heaven. And they've got a, a phony religion. It's nothing. They're false gods, yet here God says, come to me again. I'm your God, you're my people, yet you're neglecting me. You're full of rubbish. And nations fill themselves with these things. The people around us fill them with these things. Have tolerance as wide as possible. Finances that run so, so deep. Military ability and potential ready at the push of a button. And they depart from the ways of the Lord. They are full of everything except the Holy Spirit. Let us not be full of phony, but full of the Spirit. Because if we fill ourselves with anything other than God's, in reality, we're not full of it, but we're totally empty. Ray Orton says, when believers stuff their lives full of false ideals and comforts, it's because they are empty within. As people chase their false religion, their, their, their false wealth and their false power, they're just filling themselves empty. It's not filling them up. It's like a bucket with a hole. It's useless as is all this stuff. They are full of phony. And the people are not just full of phony, but they're also full of pride. The people are full of pride. And of course, this is not just a problem for Jerusalem, but it's a problem for each of us, isn't it? Pride is one of those things that can turn up in our lives in multiple and millions of different ways. It even happened in our faith too. Look at what I have done for the Lord. But here the people are saying in chapter 1, look at all our sacrifices. And pride is echoed throughout Scripture from Adam and Eve knowing, what, knowing the garden better than God to the people looking to build a tower of be able to reach the heavens. And although there are genuine advancements in human life, in technology or, or art or, or literature or engineering, in all of those things, it is God that we must worship. All those other things, engineering, science, technology, that's what the nations and people pride themselves on. And it's what they're doing here. They're priding themselves uh, through all these different things from uh, the lofty tower, the fortified wall, for the trading ships, for the stately vessel. They had so, so much. They're priding themselves on what they had. But God says what they need is to be emptied, emptied of their pride. So in, in verse 9, so man will be brought low. Verse 11, the arrogant man will be humbled, the pride of men brought low. Verse 12, is it? For all the proud and lofty, all that is exalted, they will be humbled. Verse 17, the arrogance of men will be brought low, and the pride of men will be humbled. Here is Isaiah talking about the impending judgment, that the exalted will be humbled. Those who lift themselves up, Say, look what we've done. They will be humbled. Everything that the world says that we are good at, everything that the world exalts itself for is against God. And one day it will all be brought down. Nothing is going to rob God of his glory. He will share it with no one. The pride of religion, money, power will all be humbled. Everything that people have trusted and will be brought right down, science and technology, why will it all be brought down? Why will the exalted be humbled? Because what is coming is the terror and splendor of the Lord. 
People can be as proud as peacocks. They can dress up in all their splendor and majesty, but they will be humbled by the actual splendor, majesty, and grandeur of the Lord. Here pictured is really some upsetting scenes in many ways. The people are carrying for cover as the Lord comes and as the earth shakes. They're diving for, for rocks and to hide in the dust. They throw everything away. There's a great shaking. They're looking for shelter and safety. But they're not finding it in the hills. They're not finding it in the mountains. They will seek refuge. And at that time, it is then and only then that they realize that their idols, their money, their power is worthless and hopeless. Here's Isaiah bringing God's holiness to the floor. His name is the only name above all names. And God is going to deal with his own people first. That's what's happening. It's Jerusalem being judged. The day of the Lord is judgment on the world, but there's a day too for us. And constantly through life, we can, our discipline is not right. So if we are proud, if we are looking to the hills of the world, the Lord might well let you travel down that road. The Lord might well let you chase after career and money, whatever it might be. The Lord might well let your pride and ego fill as you perceive a greater independence from God. But what will happen? God will humble you. You are exalted. The Lord will humble you. And we pray that it's in this life and not the next. Our hearts are full of idols and we exalt them or ourselves and our pride will be humbled. It is God alone who is going to be exalted and all will see his glory and splendor. Again, that idea of splendor of his majesty is repeated constantly in verses 10, 19, and 21. And we are right to long for that day where there's the final triumph of God. Despite all the, the people full of pride and people full of phony, we long for that day. We long for the final triumph of God. Why can we long for that day? Why can we look forward to that day? Because we trust the life giver. We trust the life giver. This is ultimately where our trust to be placed. The last verse, verse 22, is really summarized that we are to trust God and not man. Stop trusting in man. Relying on man and created things is what verses 6 through to 21 were all about. All the things that they've made, all the things that they worship. And the conclusion is that terror and splendor of God is going to come and wipe it all out. Stop trusting man and trust God. No longer trusting others to determine our lifestyle, but God's words. No matter how rich or how influential or how important or how persuasive people might be in our lives, we are to say, no, don't trust man, but trust God. Psalm 118, verse 8, that middle verse in the Bible says to, to take refuge in the Lord uh, and to not trust man. Because isn't it true that the world is utterly fascinated by man? And of course, we're surrounded by mankind, humans. People are, are fascinated with strong leadership, Leadership that says, this is who we are, and this is where we're going to. Uh, leadership that has a vision and a future. Leadership that solely agrees with what we stand for. 
there's a fascination of the celebrity, isn't there? From lifestyles and what they wear to what they do and what they spend their money on. The fascination of a social media influencer seeking to influence many, many people for products and all sorts of things. The fascination of a current trending show. You need to stop trusting in human pleasures, human entertainment, human achievement. Stop being fascinated by man, but be gripped, fascinated, influenced by God. Fill yourself with him. And as we trust in the life giver, it's when we are filling ourselves with his words that we walk in the light. Verses 3 and 5. We are to, to walk in his paths. Not the, the worldly, phony paths, but in verse 5, we are to be walking in the light so that everyone around us, our nations, our neighbors here in darkness can see the light can see that we together have the hope of life in our hearts. We must be walking in that way so that they will come. We aren't to be content just to be turning up to worship. That's what they were doing in chapter 1. Or turning up to worship to gather information. But turning up at home, at worship, to walk in the light as we put our knowledge into practice. Just to sum up, why is God the life giver? Well, he gives man breath. That's the question. God gives us breath. Here it's just echoes from Genesis 2 and verse 7. Who made Adam? For the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. And Adam became a living being. What is the difference between me as a man or your favorite celebrity as a man? There's a lot granted. We're just men with breath. We're all just people with breath. We will be there last one day. What's the difference between your favorite celebrity, whatever the person you look up to, and Jesus as man? Both have breath. Both have breathed their last. But Jesus didn't breathe his last, did he? Yes, in a way. But he rose again. Why? Because he is the life giver. God was the one who breathed life into Adam. And he's the one who raised Christ from the dead. And he is the one who not just breathes life and gives us breath, but gives us spiritual life, breathes new life into us. We need to be humble. We're just dust. It's the Lord who gives us breath. And we are utterly dependent on him for and eternal life. The gift of breath is from a giver, and it points to great wisdom. We are to be people trusting in this source of life. God's people, the humble, we walk in God's light because we know He will be exalted, that Jesus will be high and lifted up, and as one of His people, like AJ going to the ring, all eyes on Him, as he had a team behind him, we'll not be going to up, to up front for a loss. We'll be walking behind Jesus up to that glorious eternal home where every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, people from all nations. Why? Because God said so. He is the one who gives us life. And it's his kingdom that will never 
Bis auf Wiedersehen.